Hey everyone, this is Rob Liefeld. Uh, welcome to another edition of Observations. Hope you are doing well. Hope this finds you um, happy and, and, and in great spirits because we got a great show today. This one is, uh, is really packed, a lot of fun uh, topics. We are going to uh, introduce you hopefully to a Batman story you have never heard of. A Batman story, which I believe is the greatest Batman story you've never heard of. It is uh, right after Dark Knight in my pantheon. It is not done by Frank Miller. And we are going to uh, uh, just just peel all of the layers of that onion and expose you to hopefully a, a great Batman title. As you guys know, I'm not the biggest Batman fan, so it takes a special Batman story to really uh, put me over the top and, 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 and get me as juiced about... Uh, about something like like this this did to me this this is a great great uh, story and we are going to uh, get that on the on the back end of today's show so we're bringing you the greatest Batman story you've never ever heard of hopefully and hopefully maybe after hearing today you'll you'll check it out in the meantime so much is going on uh, I, I I I saw that the Eternals dropped a new trailer, which is perfect because it, it, it goes perfectly with what I want to discuss today because this has just just been all, it's been on my mind, it's been boiling like an egg, you know, on the heat of my brain for the last week and I, I figured this is, this is really an interesting revelation, something we should talk about and the Eternals dovetails perfectly into this. So the Eternals trailer drops two minutes, it's kind of a teaser trailer, it gives you the background of who the Eternals are. If you were listening early on when I launched this podcast a year ago, maybe one of the third or fourth uh, uh, episodes, I think it's called Cosmic Marvels, goes out of its way to detail um, the, the background behind the formation of the Eternals. So if we're going to talk about the Eternals, anyone who's, wa- who's watched the Eternals, and I know how it is, everyone Googles, everyone goes to Wikipedia, everyone you know tries to grab as much um, information as, as they possibly can. Or if you have your cool Marvel Universe handbook like I do over here, this giant omnibus, that will absolutely stop some form of a bullet. Um, the uh, At least slow it down. The, the, the information is at your fingertips. You got Icarus and Thena and... and all of the uh, all of the different Eternals that you can look up and check out that story, but the the context, you know, when watching the trailer today for the Eternals again, when I was uh, growing up and and and, the, and uh, so much of what the early podcasts that I started, which is about my journey with comics, and it still is. This is our journey, and uh, this journey keeps you know having new um, stops at new cul-de-sacs and gets on new highways and takes us to different places in the culture. And to me, it's all fueled by comics, the comic books. I love the comic books that I grew up on. And so many of those were drawn by Jack the King Kirby. We have given him uh, so many accolades, all deserved. He is the king of comics for a reason. No one else will ever, can ever, should ever um, wear the crown. It, It belongs solely on his head just because of the sheer amount of high quality high-end work that he produced and brilliant characters that kept spilling out of his brain. For those of you who don't know, The Eternals, when he came back to Marvel uh, in 1976, Jack was always kind of a reflector of what was going on in in the culture. Uh, he, he would see something in pop and he would reflect it. I mean, the guy did 2001 A Space Odyssey, the adaptation, and out of that spun off a very successful multi-year run on a brand new character that he conceived of out of that uh, film franchise called uh, Machine Man. So out of Stanley Kubrick's 2001, Kirby literally gives you Machine Man. Uh, 
there was a, there was tons of fascination with Middle Earth, the middle of the Earth, uh, land before time, um, um, you know, the center of the Earth, journey to the center of the Earth, and dinosaurs being there. So he gives us Devil Dinosaur at the same time, and Moon Boy, Devil Dinosaur, and Moon Boy. Um, you know, again, with all the different sci-fi stuff that was going on over at DC, he gave you, you know, OMAC. And then right after Planet of the Apes, which details astronauts arriving on Earth thousands of years in the future when we've become dominated by apes, he gives us the post-apocalyptic Commandy, his longest-running series at DC Comics, which is a uh, the, the sole uh, child survivor of this great apocalypse, this great Armageddon. And, and he walks around in this new future uh, uh, where, where where animals are walking and talking on their hind legs, they talk. I, I already said that they <laughs> they speak, they dominate. There's all different different sorts of tribes and creatures. And Commandy was absolutely an echo of everything that Jack loved in Planet of the Apes. Well, what was swarming the culture at the time in the mid '70s was an just an unreal fascination, like none I've ever seen before or since, with alien life forms, alien civilizations, ancient civilizations. Every week. There was a half-hour uh, show syndicated by Leonard Nimoy, Mr. Spock himself, uh, with that very distinct voice, and it was called In Search Of. And every week they went in search of something else, but a lot of the times they were in search of ancient Mayan civilizations, ancient aliens. This, The entire ancient aliens on, on uh, th- th- that, that show on the History Channel, that is completely um, beholden to what was going on with In Search Of. And then Chariots of the Gods was the book and the film and the documentary that kind of started all this, you know, that they visited us before, that there's their, their footprints are all around us, the crop circles, all that started really heated up and was taken to the mass, um, you know, the, the, to, to the masses and, and, and really where the populace interacted with it at, 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 for the first time, uh, which, which was in these films. And in these TV shows, and it really kind of tickled everybody's imagination and 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 peeled back the curtain, and we've never looked back. Jack's answer to that, Jack Kirby's answer to that was the Eternals, ancient gods, you know, ancient civilizations. They seeded our planet, the the Celestials, um, millions, yes, millions. I've, I've, I've cross-checked it in my Marvel Universe handbook multiple times. They millions of years ago, they seeded the Earth, and through apes created three different races. The Deviants, which are the monstrous race, which semi-explains werewolves, vampires, Frankenstein's monster, all of the trolls, all that stuff. They are they would be traced back to the Deviant race that they created. Then there was humankind, mankind. We, we are the base model. They say the baseline model. And then the Eternals, which were superpowered immortals, which we believe, we those of those among humanity who saw them over the history of time uh, believe they were gods. They appeared as gods. They are not gods. They are actually part of a genetic, uh, you know, experimentation, genetic creation of an, a, this master alien race that has the ability to judge and to destroy planets. Um, and, and they are constantly coming back and reevaluating Earth in regards to whether they will render final judgment. It, it came in the in, in in the form of first host, second host, third host, fourth host. It's got a whole great mythology. Jack Kirby dug deep, but so much of the designs of the Eternals was in that Inca Mayan um, realm that so much of the culture was obsessed with. That that you know that they arrived first 
and appeared. I mean, there's stuff like this in Predator versus Alien, where you see the predators appearing to Incan, you know, Mayan uh, civilizations, and 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 it's like, I mean, this stuff just feeds off each other, one after the other. Everyone's building and putting their own little, um, you know, kind of their little addition to this mythology that really took hold when I was a kid, when I was nine, okay, when I was eight. And and that in in search of was a very popular show. In search of Bigfoot, in in search of Loch Ness um, monster, um, in search of the mummy, but always in search of ancient aliens, in search of UFOs, in search of you know ancient civilizations, in search of Atlantis. All of this stuff ties together. Jack took this idea, myth, you know, made his own mythological legend, imprinted inside the Marvel universe. So. When you see this, it was written and it was drawn and it was illustrated by Jack Kirby. This is no, there is no Stanley. There is no other creator assigned to this. This is Jack Pure. Jack, um, once he returned, never worked with another writer again. It was his vision or nothing and we all benefited from it. He uh, rejuvenated Black Panther along the way during the same time, came back to Captain America, rejuvenated Captain America. But the Eternals is a killer concept. But when you look at the cast, so now let's turn to the cast of the Eternals. And I remember, you know, it's you know the pandemic really did this weird number on all of us in that it kind of stopped time, delayed everything for 14 months. And uh, I remember summer of 2019 when they had the Eternals come out on stage, and then a month later at D23 in Anaheim, California, on that big stage, they had the Eternals come out on stage. And you got Salma Hayek, okay, and you got Richard Madden, and you got um, Angelina Jolie, and you got the entire cast. Okay, so the funny part about the Eternals, which I'm going to put a stick a pin in real quick, and and again the overline of the Eternals is look they are the ancient gods who've walked among us. That that is the the, the overarching theme: the ancient gods who walked among us, but they are not they're not gods. We only appear them as gods as gods. Ancient, you know, heroes who have appeared as gods who choose not to interfere with us, but when they do, it must be darn serious. Okay, and then the overlying origin of the of the creators of the Eternals is kind of the shadow that looms large. The Celestials in some capacity become the new Thanos. For now, anybody who thinks they know what um, Kevin Feige is going to give us in that first movie is kidding yourself. Um, they're holding their cards uh, close to their vest, but the over, you know, the underlying theme, they have walked among us since the beginning of our mankind, of our known recorded history. And we have um, confuse them as gods is is your, you know, again, if humans were the baseline genome <clears throat> for the Celestials, that's the baseline concept for the Eternals, okay? But here's the deal. You look at Salma Hayek. You look at Angelina Jolie. So this is where we get to the age of heroes. And when I mean the age of heroes, I mean the age of our heroes, the age of our heroes. So I'm going to pivot slightly out of the Eternals into the Fast and the Furious franchise because I saw Fast 9 last week. I was um, fortunate enough to go see Fast 9. And let me tell you, Fast and the Furious is an interesting franchise, one that I have a um, a great relationship with as a fan. I hope you do as well. Uh, gonna gonna pivot again because this involves my good friend Jimmy J 20 years ago. Here's a game Jimmy J and I play often. Which or we did. We stopped after about six or seven years. So we did. We played it. It was super fun. In um, so you understand. In 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 2001, I'm 33, 34, and uh, Jimmy's probably 28, and we're movie you know crazy buffs have been since we were kids. <clears throat> Comic books, movies, pop culture. We are the um, you know apex predator 
consumers of this stuff, just like so many of us, uh, so many of you out there. We can't live without it. The toys, the cartoons, the movies, the comics. So what we would do every year is we would compile. It had to be turned in before the very first summer movie. Back then it was, you know, Memorial Day. Now it's, you know, 1st of May or last weekend in, in April. But back then it had to be before the first identifiable summer blockbuster was revealed. And we would predict what the top 10 would be, which you go, well, that's not that hard. So many people were prognosticating it. Yeah, that the, the ranking was one, but you had to put down the number. Would this movie make two hundred and fifteen seven million domestically and seven hundred million, you know, overseas? We we did all this stuff again. You haven't seen at that point only the X Men had represented for the Marvel Universe the twentieth Century Fox X Men movie in two thousand. But going into the summer of two thousand one, there was a movie called Fast and the Furious, and it wasn't on my radar at all. And yet Jimmy was completely keen and attuned to it and he said rob do not sleep on this this is going to do big this is going to finish up high this is what i think it's going to make and i just scoffed at all of it because fast and furious was featuring a group of largely unknown um talents in in uh vin diesel in paul walker in michelle rodriguez jordana brewster i mean this was not a uh a a a list um group of talents and it was a bunch of really up-and-coming newcomers without... I mean, obviously, Vin Diesel had been in Saving Private Ryan. He had been in, in in other supporting roles. But this was a big breakout for him. And obviously, from this would come so much more. This this was the one that punched it through, that put him on the A-list. But as, as they made it, he was an up-and-comer. And so you got to figure all those, those, those people are in their 30s or late 20s when they make... The Fast and the Furious. Jimmy J nailed it. That movie was a huge hit that summer. It 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 gave him the edge. I think we ended up tying that year. I was I was a I was really good with my with my with my numbers. But but uh, that Fast and the Furious I did not see coming. He nailed it. Here we are, twenty years later, nine movies later, ten if you count Hobbs and Shaw as the spinoff. My favorite of the entire series is Fast Five, Fast and the Furious in two thousand nine without the thes. Uh, just really returned the series. I thought it, to 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 the the high end um, representation of what it could have been, what it should have been. When it kind of stumbled along the way, the sequel to Fast Too Furious. We're not going to dwell on it. You know, wasn't as enticing as it didn't have the magic. Then Tokyo Drift was a movie ahead of its time. It, it wasn't as appreciated and um, celebrated as it is now. Looking back, it, it clearly laid so much of the groundwork. They never abandoned it conceptually. They kept weaving in so many different aspects of Tokyo Drift into the modern day films. And, and really, it hits the apex here in Fast 9. I enjoyed Fast 9. I had a blast. I had a great, great time. Uh, you know, somewhere around the sixth movie, the sixth, seventh movies, these movies became completely over the top and you understood it you went with it they're sci-fi spy movies now and 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 the 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 ninth movie really hits it home there is a character uh who repeatedly um his dialogue throughout the entire film is kind of as us as the audience surrogate he is i'm not identifying the character um you know to, to keep some spoilers i'm not going to spoil anything today we're not here to spoil one certain aspect nothing I, i'm not going to reveal plot points i'm not going to tell you you know, spoilers. I'm just going to tell you that I enjoyed it, what I enjoyed, why I enjoyed it. But we're going to we're going to circle around to the age of heroes. That is the underlying notion that we are going to focus in on here. But uh, 
that this, if you just have to accept that these movies are over the top, a little, you know, um, divorced from reality as much as, as much as a, uh, as a superhero film. I mean, it, there is a point in the, in the film, there is a, a convoy of transport trucks, vehicles that, that resemble the transport that was taking the prisoners in Deadpool two, uh, when he is trailing it on his moped and cable comes on board and all those mutants, that convoy is very similar to a convoy truck in the third act. And, and, and at this point, if I were to tell you that it was not a leap in my mind whatsoever, that Deadpool could be speeding up on his moped and, and, and cable could be jumping on board the convoy and it would be completely comfortable and fit seamlessly with the world that the Fast 9 exists in. The Fast and the Furious characters now co, you know, cohabitate. Um, I, I think you'll, you'll find that, that this is not a leap. That they would all kind of fit seamlessly. We are talking big spy sci-fi world now that the Fast 9 characters you know, in, incorporate. I had a blast. Huge, giant set pieces. I think they dialed it back slightly from the eighth installment, which to me was really super over the top. I believe that's the one with the drone robot cars pouring out of the parking garages and chasing our crew. And then, of course, there is the famous um, when I think Rock hit a submarine. The Rock hit a submarine in the last film. And prior to that, I believe uh, Vin Diesel in, in, in episode seven hit a helicopter um, or jumped up damn near a helicopter from a collapsing parking garage. And, and, and uh, my, I just remember my daughter said, did he just hit a helicopter um, back when we were sitting <laughs> in, in the theater for the seventh uh, installment? But anyway, I love the cast. You, we keep coming back for the characters, the over-the-top stunts. This is a ridiculously fun movie. It's my favorite performance by Vin Diesel as Dom. There's a lot of uh, past history that's explored, that's in uh, that, that that that's given some really juicy screen time, and and it builds out characters, stories that we were not aware of prior to now. I I just think that um I think Vin Diesel, having been challenged by The Rock behind the scenes when Rock wanted to have his own franchise, I think Vin Diesel really felt challenged, uh, maybe you know. Uh, threatened by The Rock taking over, and he stepped up, and in my opinion, has delivered us one of the, uh, one of the more exciting installments. Again, five, you're never going to get better than Fast Five with The Rock. Do not, whatever you do, let them get into cars. Is the trailer moment of Fast Five that just oh, it was perfect. It, w- w- they gave um, you know, obviously Vin Diesel and The Rock provided that great on screen on screen. Uh, rivalry chemistry that carried us through five, six, seven, and eight, and it was great and it was fun. And um, and and look, The Rock rehabbed the franchise, and the franchise rehabbed him, and and both are stronger for it. And and so I had a great time at F nine. But while I'm watching F nine, and here's where the age of heroes rears its um its power. The age of heroes is uh, you guys. This is a franchise. Of middle-aged people, and a middle-aged man is is giving you this. I am 53. You guys know this. I have worked in the comic book business for 34, 35 years. Okay, uh, you're splitting hairs right there to get the the 35 or the 34. But plus three decades, add four, add five years. That's my career. I, I was hired when I was 18 years old. Very excited to make my way through the comics industry and have this great career. But I am not a screen icon. But as I am watching this and I am rooting for 
um, these characters, the one thing you notice right out, I mean, they could really literally call this the fit and the furious, the fit and the furious. I know you've been saying like, Rob, it's been that way forever. It's never been more true than with F9, Michelle Rodriguez, her arms, her shoulders, she is so toned and lean and buff and ripped. I mean, honestly, she may be the fittest person in the entire, during the entire film. Um, Vin is in peak form. He got jacked to, to, to the nines, which is perfect if you're making fast nine. And then you've got, uh, you got John Cena, who literally there's one point where there's a profile of his arm reaching out to, to, to Vin Diesel arm and and I'm t- telling you his Jacob to Vin Diesel's Dom and and John Cena's arms are bigger than any bicep I've seen The Rock possess. It, they, they were like I could fit into the bicep. I could put a piece of my body inside his arm. He's that ridiculously yoked. So the fit and the furious is um is in top form in the in the way that they look and the way that they uh they appear. They've all. I mean, Jordana Brewster. I think looks beautiful. My my guy next to me was fawning over how great she looked. My wife could not believe how great Jordana Brewster looked. Michelle Rodriguez. That that some of these, and they don't look like they've had needles stuck in their faces. Michelle Rodriguez and Jordana Brewster to me look really like they've naturally aged. They're beautiful. Everybody else went to the gym, got yoked beyond, and I sit there and I go, Vin Diesel is fifty three years old, 54 years old. Okay. He's my age. Okay. Uh, I think Michelle Rodriguez is 42, 43. Ditto, uh, Jordana Brewster. Um, and you're sitting there going, uh, this is a middle aged. I'm watching a franchise that is fueled. That is supposed to be one of the biggest this summer by these middle aged, uh, you know, uh, uh, heroes. These are our heroes. These are our, these are, these are the people that we are rooting for. And they are, they are all of a, 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 you know, these aren't young people basically, but 30 is the new 50. I'm sorry. Reverse that 50 is in fact the new 40. <laughs> Got it wrong again. 50 is the new 30. 50 is the new 30. Although some may argue that it is exactly, uh, the, 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 the new 40, because so many of the action stars that we fell in love with, like Stallone, like, like, like Schwarzenegger, were in their peak box office earning peak box office, uh, appeal where we were going out to see them in, in, in record numbers in their forties. Now think back to when Bruce Willis storms the castle uh, in Die Hard, and when I mean Storms the Castle, I mean our castle, our the, the castle that our fan hearts reside in. We loved Bruce Willis, but he was 33. He was 33 when 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 uh, when when Die Hard comes out. I mean that is that is plus 30 years ago, and and if you dial it back, I think he's born in 55, 85. You know he's 30, so he's 33 when we see him in Die Hard. He was probably 32 when he made it. Stallone and 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 Schwarzenegger and those guys when they come together in their 90s, you know, superstar uh appeal, they're in their 40s. We are now going and fueling and 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 enjoying these these movies that are helmed by these amazing 50-year-olds. You know, these these this is just a completely different shift. Think of what I said at the beginning when we started with the Fast and the Furious franchise. These guys are in their early 30s, late 20s, okay? But now you have an entire universe 
of, of films, whether it's Mission Impossible, The Fast and the Furious. See, I was walking to my, my, my parking, well, I was walking to the parking garage after I saw this movie, and I turned to my wife and I'm like, man, I, I, this may be one of the oldest franchises. And then my mind immediately course corrected me and said, what are you thinking? You, uh, Robert Downey Jr. was plus 50. Paul, Paul Rudd just turned 50. Mark Ruffalo is 50. Josh Brolin is my age. He's 53. The Avengers um, is another franchise fueled by 50-year-olds. Maybe the youngest Avenger is Scarlett Johansson. I think she's 36. And, um, and, And David Harbour, who is playing the Red Guardian in the new movie, is 46. Uh, so, so, so th- these, um, it's just, I mean, Scarlett Johansson is your youth now. Now, of course you've got, um, you- you've got Spider-Man and, and he is truly a young wee, wee lad. He is 23. He is 24. That is how old Tom Holland is. Um, and, and, uh, but when you go down the list, you go Hulk, you go, you know, Ant-Man, uh, you, you, you look you look over and and and, and you see uh, you, you see Thanos and you go dude Thanos is um well obviously in the in the theater you know he's, he's thousands of years old but these these actors are uh that we are that are powering and fueling pop culture are in their 50s these are now 50 is the new 30 these people are fueling our uh our interest our desire um they they are they are the faces of pop culture in a way that I think w- w- cannot be argued. I mean, the Avengers, those toys, they line the aisles. That's that's the stuff that people are the most drawn to. The the Avengers family. So then you get to this Eternals, and Salma Hayek is fifty four years old. Okay, Salma Hayek is fifty four years old. Angelina Jolie is is forty five, forty six by the time. Eternals comes out. So so again, we are looking at two of the biggest stars in the film are over 50. Okay, then don't even get me started. Tom Cruise, Mission Impossible, you guys, hello. My favorite, my personal favorite action franchise, Mr. Tom Cruise will be 59 when you see him in, in Top Gun. As we speak, as I do this podcast, he is 58 years old. He will be 59 when you go to the theater to see him next. Top, now he he made Top Gun when he was you know maybe maybe 50 56, um, but the dude now that it's released when you go see him, um, he will be 59. He will be 59 when the next Mission Impossible is released. He is filming those movies right now as he is 58 back to back. Those Mission Impossible movies he is filming when he is 58. Harrison Ford, your Indiana Jones, is 78 years old. When we see him in the next installment of Indiana Jones, which they are gearing up to shoot right now, he will be 80 years old. This is not a criticism. This is merely in the purest sense of the word. This is a raw observation. This is the age of your heroes. This is the age of our heroes. Ryan Reynolds, if he were to shoot Deadpool next year, will be shooting Deadpool at 45 years old. When that movie is released, he would be 46 years old. If we push it further, he would be shooting at 46 and we would be re- it would be released when he was 47. He looks fantastic. Who here is not going to argue that Tom Cruise doesn't look great, that Ruffalo doesn't look great? We all know that Paul Rudd has some um, immortal serum cursing through his veins because he looks like he's 35, much not, not 50. Okay, Brolin, I mean... Mr. Mr. Brolin looks amazing. When you saw him get ripped, he, he was turning 50 when he portrayed Cable and got jacked out of his mind. And 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 so again, we have 
um, in every sense of the word, we have turned back the clock so much as, 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 as a society with our diets, with our, 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 our attention to health, um, nutrition. Um, people like LeBron James, who have been in the NBA almost 20 years, are playing as if they, they're only a 10-year vet. Just this past weekend, as I do this podcast, Phil Mickelson, golf legend, what became you know, the oldest guy to win a major tournament, um, 50 years old. And, and again, as they were saying on the news, this is not a young man's game. He is not a young man. But he took it to everybody and beat the field at 50 years old. So they're celebrating that. 50, 50. 50 is the new 30. The age of heroes. And the funny thing is, think of all the heroes that you and I dig that we've grown up on. Okay, so check this out. You guys know, if you're long-standing listeners to the show, that I love Wolverine. He's my favorite. Well, he's hundreds of years old. Okay, he is literally hundreds of years old in the comics and has been since about the third or fourth year that he was in existence when they started to peel back and reveal that he is that his healing factor keeps him younger looking. And in fact, he is hundreds of years old. And so, again, they have revealed this in the films, in uh, The Wolverine, when you see that he was a younger man or looked exactly the same during World War II as he did in the 2000s. So, um, my heroes are hundreds of years old. Captain America went to sleep, went, you know, went to, into suspended animation. He's, you know, a very old man, 100 years old, okay? So we are rooting for these 100-year-old heroes to begin with in the pages of our comics. Thor, is he thousands of years old, okay? Now, Chris Helmsworth, you guys, uh, obviously uh, 36 years old. So again, along with ScarJo, is pulling up the youth and Tom Holland in the Marvel Universe. But so much, um, whether it was Downey Jr., or, or again, Paul Rudd, Mark Ruffalo. So you got Iron Man, Hulk, Ant-Man, um, Thanos. These are older gentlemen. And, and again, the face of a billion-dollar action franchise, Mission Impossible, is, is closer to 60, okay? Way closer to 60 than he is to 50. Tom, kick-ass. I do my own stunts. I jump off the building. I jump off the helicopter. I pin myself to the plane cruise. Tom Cruise uber badass and uh it's just again as i'm watching this fast and the furious i never once think of their ages i just realized i just realized to myself wow all these guys are kicking ass and they look amazing and they're all they're upper 40s mid 40s 50s is is what i'm watching dwayne the rock johnson dwayne the your black adam will be 50 when that movie comes out he is 49 right now he just turned 49 I mean, the guy looks like he literally, you know, is a wish fulfillment. I will call myself The Rock. I will become as carved and chiseled as granite. So he is indeed the mother freaking rock. 49 years old, better looks better than most 20, 30-year-olds, okay? So again, I just go the age of heroes. We celebrate these guys. We love our immortal heroes. And now we're getting Salma Hayek. We're getting Angelina Jolie as the fresh, as as the new faces of the Marvel Universe. Well, into if you're Salma, you're 54. She looks great. Good on you, Salma. You're beautiful. Um, Angelina Jolie has always just been uh, effervescent in her beauty and her ability to. I mean, uh, literally, uh, again, she she does not look like someone who is 45, 46 to me. But um, these again, if you go into sequels, you do 10 years of sequels. Um, uh, uh, with, with Angelina Jolie's character, Athena, she will be 55. Uh, Selma Hayek will be 64. Uh, you know, when they sign these characters and, and, and they extend their contracts, it's always for three to four, you know, movies. So 
We are uh, we continue to celebrate, and I dig it. These older heroes. I turn my entire career into a thing. Younger, young in my career with Cable, bringing an older, grizzled old man in, in to lead the New Mutants. I know what the power of the cool old guy does. And in my head, he was always late 40s, early 50s, kicking ass. That became a, a, a concern of Marvel at the time. They wanted me to portray him as younger. And eventually, as you guys all realized, that, that we have um, extended his hairline and, and, and fitted in a little. He got some of that magic hair regrowth uh, for men in the future and, and, uh, and has rejuvenated his youth. Um, and, and I'm talking about by the end of the 90s when his hairline had become more full, not anything they've done in, 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 in introducing younger versions of himself. I'm talking about the standard cable. Um, so old guys kicking ass is, is, is something that we have always enjoyed. Charlton Heston enjoyed some of the biggest uh, movies of his career with the Omega Men, Soylent Green, Planet of the Apes, the, the big sci-fi trifecta for him when he was an older guy. So, so this is nothing new. Clint Eastwood obviously continues to entertain us and has all through his 60s, 70s, and now um, 80s. The, the guy is is a workhorse. He's a beast. And and so it's cool to see. It's cool to see that that 50 is the new 30. The 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 whether you're Phil Mickelson, you're Tom Brady, you're LeBron James, real life athletic heroes. And then we have our superheroes who are who are as long in the tooth as they've ever been, but they don't look it. They look amazing. And whether that is a byproduct of cosmetic enhancements or better nutrition or longer stints at the gym, um, we'll never know. All I know is that what I'm seeing on screen is a bunch of people knocking into the ground, the pavement, through walls, through glass, hanging off cars, driving off cliffs, um, having buildings collapse on them like Samson in the temple. And these are, and these dudes are 53, they're 50. And of course, you know, where's the young blood? Where's the new blood coming from? And I guess we look to Robert Pattinson, who is either 36 or 38. Uh, and we have Timothy Chalamet along with Tom Holland, who is in the 24, 25 category. And, uh, and, and so that is kind of the representation of your youth come bringing up, you know, bringing up the, 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 the back, um, end of the, of the youth spectrum. But again, I mean, when Ryan appeared in as Deadpool for the first time in 2009's Wolverine Origins, I mean, you got to go back and you got to subtract and you go, okay, so he was in it. He was 32. He was he was a young guy. He was exactly um, the 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 ripe age that was going on with the early Fast and Furious cast. So I am just left to wonder where in the new Paul Walker, the new Vin Diesel, the new Ryan Reynolds, the next Tom Cruise. Can there be? I don't know walk through the door. Don't even get me started. I didn't bother to look at Daniel Craig's age, but uh, he's either late 40s, early 50s. Again, walking that same line like like Ruffalo and Rudd and Downey Jr. and Brolin. And these guys look spectacular. They look amazing. I watched Josh Brolin um, go ow natural. It was completely important for him to go all natural when he yoked up and became that physical, ridiculous, I can only have a protein shake shake and a piece of chicken and, and trust me uh, that that was his regiment when he shredded up and became the beast that he would be um, in Deadpool 2 as Cable. And it, I didn't look at him and go, oh, click, 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 age. I mean, the bottom line is Cable is supposed to be an older soldier anyway. So it worked perfectly that that, that Josh was, um, you know, 49, uh, 50, 40, 48, 49, 50 when it came out, 48, 49 when he was shooting it 
So again, just dwelling on the age of heroes, our, the age of our actual heroes is, is about 10 years older than it was in the 90s with Bruce Willis and, and Schwarzenegger and peak Stallone. Again, subtract 30 from, you know, from Stallone's 75 and you get 45 uh, and go, I mean, so, so you go first blood, Rocky three, again, he's, he's in his late thirties, early forties when he is peaking at the box office. And nowadays we have Tom Cruise jumping off buildings in, in his, I mean, I mean, you guys, he's almost 60, 60 is ridiculous. So again, um, whether it's Cable or Wolverine or Thor or Captain America in the comic books, we already like these guys old. It's interesting that the younger heroes are not breaking through in the way that they used to. Um, the Teen Titans, the Legion of Superheroes, the younger X-Men, they are not the ones that are dominating the box office. It is this new breed and they honestly don't have any intention of letting go anytime soon. Ryan Reynolds is booking the most amount of movies he has at any point in his career. He is as in demand and is as big a ticket in terms of a of an of an as an actor that he's ever been, and and again he's 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 in his mid forties. Uh, the Rock does the Rock look like he is going to seed his crown? The guy's got two hundred million followers on Instagram. Uber influencer. Does he look like a guy who's about to hang it up? Because he looks to me like a guy who's just going to push push it harder and um, push it push it further. And you know, Phil Mickelson said it best in a tweet I'm, I'm surmising about his failures and that his failures only power him through to his next success. And there he did at 50 years old. Yes, I mentioned golf on a superhero podcast. Maybe this is a new height or new low, depending on where you're looking for it. But the age of heroes, I think it's interesting. What did everybody get so upset at in Star Wars? In 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 but, but between the last two movies in the trilogy, between Last Jedi, Rise of Skywalker, they were angry at how their favorite character was treated in his 70s, okay? Luke Skywalker is not a young man anymore, but he is still the most important face of that franchise alongside Harrison Ford, who we saw fall to his tragic death in his 70s, okay? So so your two favorite sci-fi heroes in... in uh, in Star Wars, again, um, are senior citizens. Okay, we're, we're talking senior citizens now. Now, did they get some new blood in there with Ray? Sure, they did. Sure, they did. Um, but, but you know, your your marquee characters are still in their, um, you know, in the in, in their. I mean, those guys are senior citizens. And then uh, to to um, you know to to tie it all off and do furthermore when when Mister. Um, when, when Mr. Super Sexy Mandalorian takes off his mask and reveals that he is in fact Pedro Pascal, um, whatever, whatever episode he does that in whichever seasons of the Mandalorian, he's 46 again. So th- this is a through line. It's a realization. Maybe you're like, Hey life, I figured this out a long time ago. I just love talking about it. It's something I talked about with my kids. The age of these franchises, does fast and the furious look like it's going anywhere? No. Is it conceivable that there could be 10, 11, 12, even though they say they're, they're going to tie it up, they're going to end it? No, there's probably going to be another Hobbs and Shaw. There's definitely going to be more Deadpool. There's going to be more Marvel. There's going to be more Eternals. There's going to be more of all of this stuff. So it's going to be interesting to see because again, do these any of these people look like they're going to pass the baton? Do you remember? Are you old enough to remember in the about 2009, 
Tom Cruise had hit a bit of a snag. It was the jumping off the couch, um, the, uh, the, the argument with Matt Lauer on the Today Show. Um, the perception was that his star had um, fallen somewhat. I never thought so, but this was the executives in Hollywood. There are numerous reports written about this. You can Google these. Tom was, his deal with Paramount was dialed back. They showed him the door. They said, we no longer want you to have a production deal in here. And in fact, the fourth installment of Mission Impossible, you are going to pass the baton to Jeremy Renner. You are going to, he will be the new agent. You are going to exit the franchise. Jeremy Renner is going to take it and run with it and become our new franchise face. Jeremy would have been in his mid-30s at the time. Tom would have been in his late 40s. Tom Cruise was like, oh, that's funny. Is that what you think is going to happen? That ain't never happening. Mission Impossible 4 was the absolute best in show for me, my favorite of the bunch. Uh, I mean, what a fantastic installment. And Tom was almost rejuvenated. Remember, this is where he climbs, you know, the highest building in the world and does his stunts. And it's just a great story. Brad Bird came to play. That movie is fantastic. But Tom was like, wait, I'm supposed to hand the baton to him. How about I take the baton? Jeremy, we'll see you around the clock. You'll kind of semi-appear in the next two installments before we wave bye-bye and we don't see you again. Tom Cruise was not ready to cede the throne. He did not. He ran the tables, stayed in the chair, is giving us the best work of his career. These Mission Impossibles with Christopher McQuarrie are out of this world. The age of heroes. The age of heroes, we're living in it. They're not young, but they kick ass just the same. And so it'll be interesting to see where the young blood, where the new blood comes from. And in the meantime, this summer, I'm ready to enjoy um, with my big giant soda as we return to the theater. I saw Fast 9 in a theater. It was cool. It was about 30 of us, masked, you know, protocols. I'm vaccinated. My wife's vaccinated. I hope that's not, that doesn't upset people. To me, I got vaccinated. Side note, to just make things easier. I'm an old guy. What do I have to lose? That's what I looked at it now. It's individual choice. It should stay individual choice. All I'm telling you is I went to a theater. I saw it masked on, big giant theater, big giant screen. It was cool. I hadn't done anything like that in nine months because I saw Tenant when it came out. I drove to San Diego County, which was open, and I saw it. My family and I, we went and saw Tenant. There was about 10 of us in a theater that held 300. There was about 35 of us in a theater that held 250 the other night when I saw F9. It was cool. I intend to go back to the movies. Enjoy these on the big screen. F9 is a blast. I love that our heroes are aging and ripening and reflecting. Um, you know, I mean, Ryan Reynolds is older than Deadpool. So 44, 45, Deadpool just turned 30. So it's it's an interesting. The franchises are getting older, but more popular than ever. Mission Impossible, Fast and the Furious, Marvel, all these different brands, Star Wars, they're all more popular than ever as they get aged and their heroes are aged but we dig it and we wouldn't have it any, any other way. And, and the box office and the interest bears that out. So there, there is my rando observation to kick off your week on the Age of Heroes. From here, we are going to pivot. And I am about to, drumroll please, discuss with you what I believe is the greatest Batman story you have never, ever heard of. So today we are going to dive deep into, because we always dive deep. That's my, you know, come on, how many times have I said, we're going to dive deep. Well, this is it. This is the Batman comic you have likely never heard of. And if you've heard of it, and if you have it, good on you, fantastic. It is an epic uh, piece of work. It actually came out over a decade ago. So it's not like you haven't heard of it because it was, you know, uh, released a, a, a gazillion years ago it is literally a comic book that came out in 2007 
So we are looking at a 14-year uh, window on this bad boy. And uh, it, it is just a magnificent comic book that I rank as my second favorite Batman comic book adventure after Frank Miller's Dark Knight, whatever, everything Dark Knight that he does. Uh, this is right up there because my love for Dark Knight, Dark Knight uh, sequels, Dark Knight Strikes Back is, uh, we've covered that again on several podcasts. Uh, we have done uh, really detailed uh, examinations and, and it, not only into the work itself, but the impact of Frank Miller's transformation of Batman, which can never be undone. It can never be equal because from that moment on, it became uh, the Frank Miller Batman. We, we never looked back. Kind of, it, it, it probably, it, you, you can say that for absolutely 100%, Frank Miller's Dark Knight was was uh, you know it was rooted in Neil Adams and in and in Denny O'Neill and in Jim Aparo and everything that came before it. But what he did and how he amped it up, it it everyone to this day does that Batman. When you see Greg Capullo do Batman, he's doing Frank Miller's Batman. Jim Lee is doing Frank Miller's Batman. If and when I do it, I'm doing Frank Miller's Batman. Everyone is doing Frank Miller's Batman. He's thicker. He's kind of meaner. He's um, smarter because Frank really established, again, the way that he took down Superman in Dark Knight. And if you don't know that, come on, you. at this point, it's, it's 40 years. That's not a spoiler. The way Batman took down Superman was with his smarts. He schemed it. He, uh, he, 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 he used his keen intellect to make that happen, and, and it took him to another level because he literally basically made Superman cry. He does it twice. He does it in the original, and then he does it in the sequel. But from that point on, uh, Batman Batman sales go through the roof. Batman becomes relevant again. We have covered in, in, in uh, I believe it's Detective 600, Stephen King wrote a dissertation on how he was scared that prior to Dark Knight that Batman was going to go away, go the, go the way of Buck Rogers, Tarzan, the Phantom, uh, and, uh, and, and Flash Gordon, and all of these other pulp heroes who just one day stopped being and and this was in the age where x-men and titans the teen titans were all the rage yes the titans was the number one selling comic from for dc for about five six years and it completely surpassed it was the age of the team book batman's popularity had waned dark knight boom frank miller shoots it back up so that brings us to this book you've never heard of from 2007 maybe you have if you have it's great the pope of comic books is paul pope and the comic book is batman year 100 this was a uh, prestige series that came out uh, in 2006-2007, written in pencil and inked, and you know the whole art, art, story and art by Paul Pope, who had uh, burst on the scene via the independent route, late 90s, early 2000s, with books called Heavy Liquid, 100%. Okay, these are books that put him on the map. He uh, since has done one of my favorite comic books of the last 20 years called Battling Boy. Um, but but in the in-between, and, and another a property that he owns himself, and he's got a whole Battling Boy universe. Paul Pope is a straight-up genius. The reason this is so good is he's a great storyteller. We've talked about it time and again and again and again. There are really great artists. Some of your favorite artists can't tell a story worth a hill of beans. The reason there's no memorable you know, single page or sequence that jumps out to you is because all they can do is draw figures well. They are not good at constructing a story, um, building uh, to the page turns, to the big moments. Paul Pope 
is A-list five-star storyteller. He has a very uh, um, kind of indie... I mean, he's, the guy's a great artist. Um, he's just... A, he's a fantastic artist. He has a very definitive style. There's a Paul Pope world. Everyone looks, um, you know... Uh, uh, they're not exactly handsome, which is what I love. I love that everyone is kind of... Um, kind of uh, looks like they have broken noses and scowls and he... Um, he, oh, I'm just pouring over this, and and he 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 just he is a fantastic storyteller. I love his style. I love his drawing. But the number one reason why I love Paul Pope is his storytelling, his page design, his panel to panel sequencing. Batman Year 100 takes place Gotham City 2039. Okay, they uh, Batman hasn't been seen in a long time, so it has something in common with Dark Knight right there. It takes place in the future 2039, which has, which uh, obviously when this is happening is 22 years from when Paul Pope is drawing it now. I mean, literally, we are we are uh, 17, 18 years from 2039. Uh, it deals with a murdered federal agent and a contingent of Washington's best spooks. Uh, they're, 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 you know, agents. This is, I'm reading from the back of the book. This is the best way to kind of uh, give you the, the bullet point for this. Hot on the suspect's trail. Amid the chaos... Gotham City PD's Detective Gordon, grandson of the former commissioner, so this is Jim Gordon Jr., launches his own investigation and discovers that the man they are chasing is a man who should not exist at all, okay? Uh, this is a fantastic story upon where Batman reemerges. I am not going to give you key twists and turns in this story. I want you to seek this out. I want you to dig this as much as I did. Again, like Frank Miller... Paul Pope is the, is the complete package. He is the auteur, the writer, the artist, and in this 2039 setting, we are again uh, introduced to a very compromised Gotham City feds uh, agents, and and uh, you know along the way, Batman will the Batman will reemerge. Now, this isn't a Bruce Wayne story, and that that's the most interesting thing. This is a Batman story. This is about the myth, the 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 imagery, the iconography. Of Batman and how much he terrifies people when he reappears, and I'm going to tell you there's there's specific visual components that uh, that Paul Pope applies to this that really um, that that really drives this home, and and it's the stuff that I truth be told love the absolute most about this, and and there is a point where he contacts James Gordon uh, close to the end of the second act, close to the third act. Um, via like a hologram, a holographic image. Uh, there is no bat signal that he's answering. And in that holographic image, he says, look, Jim Gordon, this is Batman, through his hologram, talking to a very beaten up Jim Gordon Jr. I've been watching you. I've been watching you. I need your help. He basically says, I know that you are not like the others. You're not like them, Jim. You're starting to see the picture behind the picture and it is a nightmare. We have to meet face-to-face. So, you know, it takes two acts for Batman, again, a Batman story, not not a Bruce Wayne story, a Batman story. Again, I'm going to, I'm going to protect some of the big twists and some of the, some of the big turns in here, but Batman, again, uh, close to like the second act, he has a couple hacker kids that he is, uh, he is meeting with and, and, and he like just straight up calls out the fact that they are stumbling into what's happening in Gotham City. These murders, this mystery, is uh, is a giant 
international conspiracy. So Batman is uncovering this giant cabal, okay? And uh, and and along the way, we are, um, you know, we are we are going to see all of these characters who are on opposite ends, you know, finally, you know, unite to take down the bad guys. It's right here again, into the second act, where the Batman of 2039, who has reemerged in the most dramatic way, says we just stepped into something that's starting to look like an international conspiracy. Involving, involving members of the Federal Police Corps. The way that Paul Pope depicts Batman in this is very true to the original Bob Kane depiction. The wider spaced apart ears, the high ears. He doesn't do Frank Miller, um, the short stubby ears. It, it's, it's, and especially the nose. He has a very long and pointy nose on his cowl. It, it is very much the classic uh, Batman, uh, the, the silhouette, that we can't, that we have known from his early inception, his very earliest appearances, and it's kind of cool because Paul Pope's art is very modern and very dynamic. But look, when the uh, when the Feds first involve Batman, he attacks them in a blur. It's like uh, basically Gotham City's you know uh, federal forces show up and. Uh, and, 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 and this figure pops out and takes them all down. And then they're studying tape and they're looking and they're like, oh my gosh, this looks like the legend of Batman. And when he reappears again, they show up in greater forces to try and take him down. And uh, this is where Paul Pope puts his signature uh, style and influence on this Batman year 100. We see the gadgets and, and the more visceral gadgets that he brings along. Of course, he's got like um, brass knuckles with um, spikes on them. So it's it's very, uh, you know, he, he's got kind of a, a claw element. He's got multiple pulley lines and strings that he lowers himself into different environments with. But it is the sequence where he comes upon the, uh, the, the Gotham City PD and they surround him with all their heavy artillery and he realizes he has to take this conflict to the next level. He retreats back into an elevator shaft. This is so this is the signature. This is what makes me love this. Every every you know, whether it's the lightsaber battle between Obi-Wan and Darth Vader, which was my favorite in the original Star Wars, or maybe it was when Luke pilots his X-Wing fighter and finally blows up the Death Star. Um, or maybe it's, you know, the 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 scene in 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 the trash compactor, or for many people in the Matrix. You know, it's the bank scene, okay? It's it's absolutely the entire bank sequence that people go, that's why I love the Matrix. That's why, you know, that's where, when, when, you know, I, I, I that's the signature memory, the visceral moment that I knew I'm in love with this film. The way that was shot, choreographed, the bullet time. So that sequence for me in Batman Year 100, which was again, uh, if memory serves, three of the... Uh, of the prestige format books, possibly four, but I have the trade that here's the deal, guys, here's the thing. A retailer told me that this has been out of print, that DC has not put this back in print for forever. So I'm not sure how easy this is going to be to obtain. I hope it's available digitally. So at least you can um, purchase it off Comixology. But as always, I prefer to hold them in my hand as I am now. The paper uh, the paper product is the best, but this sequence where he battles, I mean, it is a, it, 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 let's call it 15, 20 pages where he takes out the, the, the special forces from Gotham city that are trying to take him down, that have pinned him down. 
he retreats back into the elevator shaft that he came down. And you guys, this flipped me out. This is when I'm like, wow, this guy has really put a lot of thought and time into trying to separate himself. What I mean, he's got big brass cojones to do a future Batman story following Dark Knight. But he, uh, you know, and, and following in the shadow of Frank Miller. But in this elevator shaft, he reaches into his utility belt and he reach, he, he grabs out this, he, he pulls out this jagged, razor sharp um, mouthful of teeth that he puts in his mouth over his regular teeth. And um, and of course, it, it, the great thing is it affects his speech going um, going forward. The way he the way he talks is, is slurred because the extra teeth in his mouth. But he has these jagged, uh, it, it, they appear to be, they're all razor sharp. He like now has the, the jagged mouth of a lion, of a bear, that he has put inside his jaw. That there, there are some. The way he depicts it, when he closes his mouth, the top teeth hang out. I mean, it's like it's like a a, a, a mouthful of vampire teeth. And uh, and again, his hackers that he's working with are like, oh crap, he can't talk when he has his mouth in because they're trying to communicate with him. But he literally attacks them with these jagged teeth, and it is one hundred percent shown and implied beyond a few panels that he is attacking these guys with his mouth as well as his arms and his legs his hands, he is ripping these guys apart with these this jaw full of jagged, razor-sharp teeth. This was when I literally, in 2006, 2007, just was blown to the back of my chair. To combat him, they release a vicious um, pack of rabid canines on, on our Batman. This is... An, the, the, the second chapter of this, the second act, just explodes in this amazing, um, visceral, violent confrontation. And that's what I love about this. Paul Pope's Batman in Batman Year 100, in the year 2039, is, he is 100% as visceral, as as um, as violent, as, as um, brawny, um, as I have ever seen him. And that includes Frank Miller. And it's th those teeth just put me over the freaking edge. There are great big giant shots. He is a little thicker, maybe not as thick as Frank's, but uh, you know um, the 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 action and and the element of consequence and 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 the tone of this book. It's it's over the top, but it is it is fantastic because because Paul Pope has a gritty style. That's the word I was looking for earlier. It's 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 um brush more brush heavy. It's thicker. It's it's um, it's kind of muddy in places. It's it's a style. It's 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 not that pretty um, Terry Austin line. It's not that pretty Neil Adams rendering. Okay, this is a very visceral um, style. He his his these shots of him in the elevator shaft are shot so tight um, that there's a couple of them, and you just see the he, he his the way he is squat down, and his legs and thighs are high up to his shoulders, and he's and, and then of course he 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 puts in his. Uh, his his teeth and goes at it and he has smoke bombs and he has his his um spiked uh, uh brass knuckles i mean this this is a great sequence and when he makes it out of here alive and escapes because he was in the in the building obviously trying to procure some very important information data that i'm not going to share with you guys but if he reaches he comes back to his hacker squad with this and uh and again at this point jim gordon junior who has again inherited his dad's place as the commissioner of 
um, Gotham City PD is is looking into old files of Batman and realizing, oh my gosh, you know this. How is this Batman back among us again? It's it's following that that Batman does indeed contact him via the hologram, and uh, and let him know, look, man, I think you're one of the good guys. We can work together. We can we can begin to take down this cabal. For my money, this was way too short-lived. This should have been and should have had a longer shelf life. It begged, it called out for a sequel. I don't know what the deal was in regards to um, to Paul Pope's deal in this, but it is um, among his best work at the time it was celebrated. But again, it's it, it doesn't look like a Neil Adams Batman. It doesn't look like a Jim Lee Batman. Maybe that's what it was what, what was held against it. Um, but it is as... As, as good a Batman tale as you are ever going to hear, as you are ever going to read, as you are ever going to see and, 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 and experience. And it is this reemergence of Batman in 2039 when no one has seen him. And, uh, and again, there is no Bruce Wayne. There is only Batman. And it deals with how frightening, how scared when he first appears these guys are. And he absolutely looks like a monstrous demon in certain depictions. Um, when he, when Paul Pope depicts him coming out of the shadows and in his, um, you know, in his last encounter, when he basically is going to hand over all of the data that he has collected, uh, to, to Jim Gordon Jr. Uh, you know, he, he, he and Jim Gordon Jr. kind of, you know, unite with this kind of like understanding that they're going to work together in the future. They're not going to be, um, you know, working at odds ends. There's there's a bureaucrat in here who who says to James Gordon Jr., you know, he's the last of the masks. You know, we've gotten rid of all the masks. There's so much risk. What does that mean when you read it? You know what it means. Like, you know, superheroes are gone. Even at the end, James James Gordon Jr. says, you know, real life superhero. You know, it's 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 like th these are these are um you know um th 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 this is a this is a figure and 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 uh, 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 a hero that this town has not seen for a long time. And, uh, you know, he never takes off his cowl and he is completely immersed in Batman using all of his gadgetry, his weaponry. Some really cool stuff comes out of that utility belt. Nothing cooler than those teeth. When he puts those mouthful of teeth, Paul Pope has clearly been building to that. That's why the entire sequence is... I mean, I, I, I'm looking at it right now. I mean, this thing is, is at least 20 pages. This sequence with Batman against this SWAT squad and these 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 teeth and the canines being released after him and then his conflict with them and how he escapes. And it, there is one time that when Batman is taking down all the dogs, the canines, and taking out all the bad guys, the guy goes, he's laughing at us. This bastard is enjoying this. And Batman says, heh, heh, heh. And, uh, and again, this is when Jim Gordon realizes, holy crap, we are up against the, the, the legend of Gotham. And he's returned. A very different approach than that of um, Frank Miller, who, who took it obviously in different, several different ways. There is no kind of, you know, I, I hung up the cowl because Robin died. He's clearly utilizing these younger um, computer savvy hackers. But the Batman Year 100 by Paul Pope. Uh, there should have been a whole lot more of this. Uh, I do not know why this is not on any, on 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 more radars. Um, take it from 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 your uncle Rob, 
that, uh, that this book kicks all sorts of righteous ass. It is colored by the brilliant Jose Villaruba, Villarubia. Jose Villarubia. The color in this is fantastic. Again, don't buy this. This is more on the Tim Sale side of the ledger, okay? But not, because um, Paul Pope's figures are more, uh, they're, they're, they're slightly more defined. They're more, um, uh, slightly more powerful um, than, than, than Tim Solid. That's the word I'm looking for, solid. Tim, Tim is very, um, with kind of, um, everything is, is more liquidy, ethereal. Uh, I, I wouldn't call, you know, some of the figure work and stuff that Tim does, I wouldn't call that like solid. It's beautiful. I'm a huge Tim Sale fan. Please don't get me wrong. I have Tim Sale original artwork. I have everything Tim Sale has ever done. It is not a Jim Lee Batman. It is not a Neil Adams Batman. It is not a Marshall Rogers Batman. This is, um, you know, kind of a, 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 a rough, cruddy, uh, and I mean that in, in terms of ink line, a cruddy ink line. It's a thick ink line. Um, the, these people aren't exactly, you know, leading men um, in terms of good looking, but his Batman is badass. Again, Paul Pope style, it, this is consistent. He has a definite style. Everything fits in this world, and these people look like, look, look, Paul Pope himself kind of looks like a Mick Jagger. He kind of looks like Mick Jagger, so everyone in here kind of looks like a Mick Jagger. Mick Jagger, obviously giant sex symbol, but it's a, it's a, it's a specific look. Um, and, uh, and, and, and I'm telling you, the, the storytelling, the cropping, the panel to panel, this is fantastic. Y you guys, the teeth sequence, the elevator shaft, that is this comics matrix bank scene. So the greatest Batman story you've never heard of, if you haven't heard of Paul Pope's Batman Year 100, please check it out. Go check out more by Paul Pope. Battling Boy, just to, to, to wet your noodle here, is, uh, is, is he is the son of the gods. And he is uh, arrives down on Earth to kind of as as his uh, as his coming of age, and there are many monsters and bad guys that he must fell. And what a great title, Battling Boy! The art is, I think, even better than this. And this is a list five star. I mean, this is a plus five star Batman Year um, 100, and I like Battling Boy even better. So check out Batman Year 100. Get on this. It is my second favorite Batman story of all time. International conspiracy. Dirty Feds, Jim Gordon's grandson, and just Batman. He reappears and terrifies everybody. Again, when he first appears and all they have is the video footage of him and they show on the video, I mean, the way Paul Pope, it, it, it's like in a movie if you got like a, a infrared uh, uh, footage of, 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 a, of a figure that you really couldn't see as he as he attacked you and then you play back the footage and you see up close and and. and and you freeze frame it um, in the early on in the book after he first appears and 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 takes out the the, this, the small um, battalion of of Gotham PD um, or, or heavy artillery guys. They they look and see what they caught on camera, and it's I mean you see these these um, it's not infrared. It's actually kind of a green tint. Uh, but these and and the way Paul Pope did it, it, it's like it's it's blurry. It's it's moving. The image is moving. The, the the still image that you're seeing is a is something that is clearly in motion. So it's hard to make out. But what you can make out is it's Batman. He's back. He's nastier than ever. He's more visceral than ever. Um, it, it is. It, it's got some big set pieces. It's very exciting. I, I I hope one day that like Frank Miller returned to Dark Knight that Paul Pope can come back and give us the sequel to Batman Year 100. It's that good. It's that good. Get on this. Highest possible recommendation. So today was a whopper. 
that was a whopper of an episode, or was it a a Big Mac? Okay, it was something. It was something else. We we Age of Heroes, the best, greatest Batman story you've never heard of. Make sure you grab that. Paul Pope tearing it up. Fast Nine coming out soon. The Age of Heroes is upon us, and they're all way older than you ever could have possibly imagined. But they look amazing. They are at the peak of their acting prowess, their stunts. It's killer. It's a great time to be just bouncing all around pop culture. Um, Thank you all for spreading the word about the show, for getting subscribers, for listening, for passing it on, for the word of mouth, for promoting it on social media. You have my undying, unyielding um, appreciation, um, gratitude. Thank you so much. At the end of every episode, we read your reviews and you guys have been so kind in leaving so many amazing reviews for this show. It helps. I have been told you guys can help me out by leaving reviews Um, passing on word of mouth, uh, doing all the stuff that you're already doing, recommending it on social media, um, subscribing. So I'm going to share some reviews with you guys that, that, uh, that that you guys are leaving because that, that, that is such a help to the show and helps um, raise the profile of the show. And I just, I, I just appreciate it so much. This is from Jason Snyder. Jason Snyder writes, I have followed Rob's work for decades, but up until he started his podcast last year, my appreciation for him has been simply for his comic book work. However, with Rob's podcast, I have learned not only about Rob's love for comic book history, but also have taken on a new appreciation for Rob's overall enthusiasm for comic books in general. Quite simply, Rob Liefeld loves comics, both as a creator and a reader in his enthusiasm. I have been fortunate enough to take in for the last year. It's simply contagious. Thank you again, Rob, for giving me something to pass the hours and days during this unusual last year. I look forward to all the topics you're discussing in season two. Thank you, Jason Snyder. Thank you for that generous, generous review. I cannot um, express to you enough my gratitude for this. A Another gentleman named Rick Offenberger. What's up, Rick Offenberger? Thank you. Five stars. The title of the review is five stars. It says, I am fortunate to be Along the lines of Rob's age, I have read the same comic books Rob Liefeld did. Observations is a wonderful, wonderful review of my favorite comic books, adding detail and texture to my fondest childhood memories. Thank you, Rick. Thank you for being so kind. Thank you guys for passing the word along, leaving the re- these reviews. These make all the difference. Um, it, it, it is such a thrill to share these Rob observations with you. Um, I, sometimes I just, um, they, they're, they're burning. I just got to get them out. I got to get them out. I got to share them with you today. Again, Age of Heroes, really cool. Where's the next, where's the next heroes coming from? Is there new blood um, beyond Chalamet, Pattinson, Holland? We'll, let, let, let's wait and see. Um, in the meantime, check out Batman Year 300, Paul Pope crushing it. I am on, uh, Social media on Twitter. I am at Robert Liefeld. Blue check. That's me. I am on Instagram. I am at Rob Liefeld. Another blue check. That's me. Please seek me out. Let's hang out. Let's talk. I'm all over Facebook. I'm all over social media. I love talking, responding to all of you guys. And uh, just thank you so much for tuning in. Thanks for the listen. You guys know the drill. You are going to take care of yourselves. You're going to do the very best to take care of yourselves. And in the meantime, until we speak again, you are going to stay safe. You're going to stay safe, and we are going to talk again real soon.